0: Hey everyone, welcome to the 121st episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. This episode is brought to you by patrons Kip Adler, Oscar Vaca, David, Artemis, Luke Sheldon, Nathan Blackwell, and Nathan Presley. Thanks for supporting us. Today we've got Elijah Bynum on the show.
1: He directed the movie Hot Summer Nights, starring Timothy Chalamet. Spoiler alert, guys. Elijah is a bit of a wonderkind. His first two screenplays were on the blacklist the same year. So this is his first feature. It's his directorial debut. It's the first thing he's directed. He's going to tell us all about how that movie
0: came to be and his secrets to his success. We really got to dig deep on how he accomplished some of the shots, like a cool car accident shot, aerial shots party scenes. We really talk about the craft of making movies and the business of how to get your movies made and noticed. It's kind of kind of a perfect little encapsulation of what our show is about. But before we get to our conversation with Elijah, Oren. Yes. What have you been working on lately? Well, Matt, I can tell you what I have not been working on. This is something that I did not even really want to talk about on the podcast, but you... uh, I pressured you. You pressured me over the last three podcasts to talk about it. Um, And it is that I was playing this mobile video game. I might have mentioned it on the podcast like once or twice, but I have literally been playing it for over three years. I saw my first login um, the other day. Did it show you how many hours you've logged on the game? No, but it's like, I don't think there's a counter that goes high enough... (laughs) In technology. <laughs> because I, I had a World of Warcraft problem and it would tell you how many hours or days really? you logged. Yeah, I bet it's in there. To me, probably even the more offensive number, more offensive than how many hours I spent playing would be how many times I logged in per day. I would not be surprised if it was over 100. So you're saying basically that you were addicted to this game. I mean, yeah. What's weird is like it's a social, it's a game with a social element. So, you know, you're like playing with like in this game you're like grouped into alliances and you have 30 people in an alliance so everyone's talking to each other throughout the day and in the chat rooms of the alliance people would like kind of make addiction jokes but it was Mm -hmm. no one really would acknowledge that they were really addicted that it was a problem in any way Mm -hmm. and I would always bring like up these articles I'd be like look the World Health Organization says video game addiction is a real problem and they're like yeah that's bullshit Whatever, Um, like Everyone was in denial except for me. And I'm like, guys, don't you see how crazy it is that like every time you go use the restroom, you're like logging into this game and like spending your whole weekend and like all this money. I I, I don't know. Wait, did you spend real money on the game? I did spend real money on the game, but not like an embarrassing amount, probably over the course of three years, probably like two hundred dollars, maybe. Okay. yeah, yeah. Well, this game was a type of game where you can either spend eight hours doing something or $5. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you, there was a free way to get everything when it's a competitive game where you're competing against everyone in the world and every, everything you do in the game shows you how you stack up against everyone else. Mm -hmm. The the word contest is in the name of the game. Um, And because of that, you are in this basically the cycle of peer pressure Mm -hmm. and these alliances of like, Hey. You should do this. You should buy this. You should get this. You should do that. Like, this is so awesome. You could be, you're having these great characters. Anyway, whatever. The point of the story is. You were in deep. I was in deep. It seriously affected my productivity. It was like if I was directing something and it had zero effect on it, I, you know, because when you get a directing job, it's like, okay, when does pre-production start? What's the script? Let's shot list. Let's go to this location scout, cast, shoot, edit, mm-hmm. done. I mean. That that's easy, but in between, when you're writing, meeting, mm-hmm. generating ideas, when getting inspired, yeah. uh, if I had like an open hour instead of like reading a book or watching a movie or writing, which is what I should be doing, I was like playing the game, um, and so I've, yeah, I eliminated. It. I was really afraid. I, I heard that quitting like a video game addiction is like alcoholism. Like you can't like an alcoholic can't say like oh I'll just have like two beers a day like right. you can't scale down you, you kind of have to quit t- cold turkey cold turkey yeah cuz i tried scaling down a bunch of times and then i would just like whoop yeah. scale back up <laughs> yeah so but it's crazy you know you spent 3 years building this amazing account and there was a time where i could probably have sold it for like a $1000 uh, yeah. the market kind of became saturated <laughs> anyway it's awesome i am finding that i don't miss the game at all. Mm. And I don't know if you ever played like these massive multiplayer games or like had a group of like friends that you only knew in through, the gaming world. Through the game. Yeah. But I kind of thought it's not that I thought my relationships with those people are more real than they are. Because they were like, I mean, they were deep. Like we talked to each other a hundred times a day. We talked about our kids, about our wives, mm. about our lives, about our jobs. We'd like share what's going mm-hmm. on, but as soon as we quit, it's like, or somebody leaves the alliance, or someone gets disconnected, it's like within a, within a week, yeah. it's like it doesn't matter who they are. It's a weird, yeah, thing. I think it's fueled a lot by uh, not endorphins. What's uh, what's dopamine? The, yeah, yeah, dopamine yeah. and like kind of these highs you get from like. Friends and friendship. I don't know. It, it's, it's weird, but I quit. And now I think it's good. I'm working on a screenplay. Yeah. And I'm reading a lot more. That's good. Spoiler alert for your unpaid
1: endorsement. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm proud of you. Congratulations. You know, it's funny. I think I have a similar relationship to um, Twitter. Checking my email and uh, checking my website stats, actually. I probably check my website stats 20 times a day it's directly related to how much I'm working basically because you're looking for any sort of validation of like, Oh, like people are considering me. Like maybe I was close on that one, you know? Right. Um, so I get it, man. But This uh, is
0: actually my second vice I quit this year. Oh yeah. My first one was news. Mm-hmm. I was a news junkie. That was the, I kind of got over that like last year, mid 2017. Yeah. had a year were... of like reading Every, the same article in on every website. Yeah, you were pretty strung episodes. out about it, yeah.
1: Our time is so unstructured and our work is so personal. Um, it's really hard. I found days and days, weeks would go by where I wouldn't get substantial amounts of work done because of some sort of... Distraction. Distraction, yeah.
0: We wanted to remind you guys that we have a Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash it is the place where if you enjoy this show, feel like you're dying to help us out in some way, want to support us, want to just talk to us or something, go to our Patreon page and you can give a dollar a month. It's 25 cents per episode, as Matt says, and it just helps us pay our editors. And we are planning our back to school live event, end of August, details to follow. It is in the works. It's in the works. Uh, it'll help us pay for that. And okay. it just means a lot to us. And we just sent out our very first monthly newsletter to our patrons You'll get some insider information about the nuts and bolts of Just Shoot It.
1: And also, if you have a suggestion, um, that's an easy way to reach out to us. It's Um, like the IMDb Pro account of Just Shoot It listening. (laughs) There you go.
0: Awesome. Well, on that note, Lauren, let's have our conversation with Elijah. So, hey, we are here with Elijah Bynum. Director
1: of Hot Summer Nights. That's me. Welcome, man. Great to be here, guys. When does it come out? Uh, it comes out July 27th. Which is the day after this episode drops.
2: Cool, man. And this is your first movie. It is. It's my first anything, really. I hadn't directed anything before, a music video or a commercial or a short film. Like I hadn't, literally nothing? L- literally nothing, um, which in
0: hindsight is kind of crazy.
1: Crazy or impressive, and depending on how you. Yeah, it. depending
0: think, on how you look at it, I think sure. there's a lot of first-time directors. But I think it's important for our listeners to know that this is like an A24 film. It's got Timothy Chalamet. It's like a feels like a big studio film. It's
1: a, it's a real movie, as we yeah. It's earlier. not like a twenty thousand dollar film school
2: film. Yeah, well, it didn't. Yeah, it. We didn't know obviously when we started making it that it would end up A24. And mm-hmm. at that time, Timothy wasn't who he is now. But yes, uh, at least on the page there was a lot to try to get accomplished mm-hmm. and there was car accidents mm-hmm. and hurricanes and it was a period piece and I think there was something like 70 um, different locations and 80 different speaking parts so it was, it did feel like a big movie certainly. And can you give us the log line real quick? Oh man the log line. Um, right, I can do it if you want because you're I probably saw it last night. <laughs> oh you did see it yeah. last. You're probably much better at the log line than I am. I, my log line would end up being three paragraphs long. <laughs>
0: So to me, but didn't you? Well, it was on the blacklist, right? It was on the blacklist. So they probably came up with a good log line. I should have memorized it. <laughs> you should have looked at the blacklist. Yeah. Um, wait, I'm going to look up real quick the blacklist. Oh, logline.
1: I, I think you should try yourself. Okay. I feel like I'll do my log
0: line and then I'll look up yeah. the um, the blacklist log line, and we will see. 2013 blacklist. Yeah. Man. 2018. It goes way back. Wow. Um, okay. So my take on the log line is. Uh, Hot Summer Nights starts as a teen love story in 1990s Cape Cod. Sure. Mm-hmm. And it quickly devolves into a murderous drug spree <laughs> uh, starring Timothy Chalamet and the girl from It Follows. It sounds and, like something Brian De Palma would have made. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, yeah. uh huh. That was pretty damn good. Uh, what does the blacklist say? I'm curious. Let me see.
0: A teenager's life spirals out of control when he befriends the town's rebel, rebel, falls in love, and gets entangled in selling drugs over one summer in Cape Cod.
2: Yeah, pretty close. That works, too. Yeah. Yours yeah. was better. Yeah. <laughs> Yours was um, sexier.
0: Well, I think... So I'll admit, I read an interview you did with uh, No Film School. hmm And you guys talked a lot about how it starts out as one genre and turns into another genre. Yes. And so that's why... I feel like I mentioned that in the long line. Oh, you cheated, is what you're saying. Well, or, or you I, did I, your I research. I felt yeah, like you, that's part of the heart of the movie that I don't know if I would have noticed as much if I didn't read you guys talking about that. Like, mm-hmm. I, obviously, I noticed it, but to me, it doesn't really break genres. It does start as this teen film, but it, it starts. Out pretty rated R, like from the beginning. Sure, like the there's all these kids in town talking about the penis size of. You're saying it's the totally
1: consistent, kid. even if the plot kind of takes. No,
2: I would choice. say I don't think it changes genres because it's still a coming of age, oh
0: interesting love story. But the tone does mm. take quite a dramatic mm-hmm. shift. Right. Um, well, it's funny because you ha- it's it. Very much feels starts like a teen movie, like a Napoleon Dynamite or whatever, like yeah. that type of genre film. And there's this one character and it's a super stylized film, right? Like when you introduce a character, you're doing like low angle, like push in, steady right. cam shots, and like cool. Like it's it feels and there's VO kind of like guiding us through the opening of the movie. And there's this character that comes uh that's supposed to be like the badass of the town, like the rebel. Mm-hmm. And everyone tells the same story, which is that this guy's killed the man before. Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of introducing the idea of, like, murder. It's like showing the gun, right, right in the mm-hmm. opening. Mm-hmm. And then... That gun has to go off in Act 3. Right. And yeah. I think maybe the trope we've seen is, like, nah, I didn't, like, I, I just tell people I killed someone. Or, like, I accidentally, like, got into a car accident or something mm-hmm. and killed someone. Like, you, you subvert it to keep it, like, the teen-friendly movie. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but in He's your movie, so you don't subvert after all. it. all.
1: But, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: In fact, he is. um And pretty early on, you see him beat the shit out of someone yes he does pretty violently yes (laughs) um so uh, yeah so this is this is a buzzy film people are
1: excited about it it's getting released by a24 that's you know this is the dream right Mm -hmm. this is kind of like the the indie movie fairy tale i'm gonna cut to the chase tell us how you got this movie going how did it happen well it took it
2: took a long time Um, it took a long time, five
1: year overnight success, right? It's a five year overnight.
2: (laughs) It took a long time, but then it happened very quickly at the same time. So I wrote it, mm, probably it was the second script I had ever written. So I, I, speaking of, you know, genre and tonal shifts, like I, thinking back to when I wrote it, I don't think I was aware that it was making the dramatic Mm. and and tonal shifts that it, it ended up doing. I was just trying to tell this story that was based on two kids that I knew, back in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote it It had made the
0: blacklist. It was appreciated. And, wait, can we get stop there for saying like, how yeah. did it, so you'd only written one script before the yeah. second script. Did you study film in college? No, no, I was work. I would, I didn't, I moved out here after
2: college and just cause I wanted to get into the industry. I figured I'd get in, you know, I, I couldn't act and I didn't want to act and Didn't, you know, writing and directing was something very foreign to me. So I figured the only thing left to do is be a producer. Um, So that's what I came out here hoping to do. And I found an internship, and that led to a job at CAA. And I worked at CAA for two and a half years. As an assistant? As an assistant. Like on a desk. Well, it started as like a, do you know what a floater is? Yeah. Floater is kind of like a permanent. Substitute teacher. <laughs> right. substitute, like you report there every day, you work there full time, but you're just reporting to fill in for any assistant that is out, you know, sick or just got fired or having a root canal, whatever, and you fill in on their desk. And it's brutal because every day you show up to this desk uh, and the agent, you know, rolls his eyes and is like, who the fuck is this new guy on my desk and I'm out of here. And I did that for eight months and then I landed a desk in kind of the charity department. So I was in the building. Wait, that's a real department? Yeah. any. Well, that's how they sleep at night. They have, these, <laughs> they have these, you know, charity events that they give back and George Clooney does his, you know, oil cleanup, that right. kind of stuff. So I was like, and I did that for 14 months. So I was in the building and all my friends were working on desks of like real agents who repped real writers and directors and real actors. And I felt like I was close, but not quite right in the circle yeah that's so funny because you're literally in the building as we say mm-hmm. right. hey, let me ask yeah.
0: you an insider question that maybe our listeners would be interested in where do like all the agents assistants hang out all the ca agents assistants if i like just moved here from out of town and i wanted to yeah. meet uh-huh. those people
2: Nick's well martini lounge
0: <laughs> maybe it, it's been a while back
2: when i was there uh the den on sunset mm-hmm. sure was yeah, a big yeah. one and then um God. They've got a long happy hour. The den, the den, will have a happy hour till like eight or nine. And that great eight. chicken sandwich, by the way, oh. really great chicken sandwich. And oh, what's the place uh, right near Barney's Beanery Over there in oh, West Hollywood, Jones? No, on Not Jones on third. Um Oh, the name's escaping wait, me. Wait, the the hotel bar? Yeah, what's uh, the name? Of oh, Pally House. Yep. Pally House. Yeah, yeah. those that's are the two. One. Those are the two big ones. That's where you can find this. I don't know if that's where they are anymore, but like. 2010,
0: 2011, that was the place to be. <laughs> yeah, because the, I mean, we talk about this on the podcast a lot, but there's this network of assistants that's pretty much like the key to knowing what's happening in Hollywood. Well, that's how it started for me. I was sitting on this desk and I was,
2: I felt restless and bored and frustrated because mm-hmm. I didn't really have much control over my career, what was happening. And I wrote a script out of boredom, put a fake name on it, gave it to the kid who sat next to me who did work for a big agent. And I was like, "Yeah, my buddy wrote this. Yeah, I don't know if it's any good. Take a look at it. Tell me what you think." And he took, you know, probably like 3 months to read it. And when he finally did, he was like, "Hey, man, this, you know, this isn't so bad. I think I could maybe get this set up somewhere." And when he said that, of course, I was like, "Hey, by mm-hmm. the way, it was me who wrote it." <laughs> Are you and, serious? Yeah. And that, and that
0: was hot summer nights.
2: That was No, that was a script before. It's oh, called okay. a script called uh, Mississippi Mud. So once that happened, I figured well, that was fun, um, and he did. He did get it set up somewhere. He called his old boss and they optioned it. And that, you know, was surreal, just that somebody was actually optioning something that I had written. So your very first screenplay? My very first screenplay,
0: yeah. And had you written shorts or like, were you, did you study writing in college or anything? No,
2: no, I, no, when I was much younger, I was into creative writing, like young, young, like kindergarten, first grade, like that area, all the way through probably around sixth grade. Um, very into creative writing, mm-hmm. you know, creating characters and stories and some kind of way of like articulating a feeling I had and trying to get it out on, get it out on the page.
1: So then how, I'm, I'm curious just about,
2: cause I, I know
1: our listeners and Oren and I a little <laughs> bit are like, what you're mm-hmm. first, right? Like, but so let me know. I don't know. To me, it seems like I mean, once
0: you get on the blacklist, it's kind of, that's the hard part. But then sure. you're like kind of famous in Hollywood well, for a week. Uh, look, man, I'm sure there's plenty of blacklist writers who'd be like, "Oh, uh, contraire." But I, I want to know
1: um, what did you do between being like, okay, raw talent, interest, right, and first screenplay? Did you read a bunch of scripts? Did you? Was there a particular book you read? Like, how did you crack the nut of even formatting a screenplay?
2: Uh, yes. Well, part of what I was doing as I was frustrated at CA on this very slow desk was read everything I could get my hands on, Yeah, watch everything I could get my hands on. Cause I realized quickly um, just how little I knew about the history of film and filmmaking. And sure. I had some somewhat of like a layman's idea of what was good. And I, I had what I thought was pretty good taste, but that was about it. And anytime I found myself in a conversation um, with someone who, clearly like had dedicated years to this it just reminded me of like how far i had mm-hmm. to come so yes there was a lot of self-education of mm-hmm. reading good material bad material seeing what worked and what didn't and then yeah there were two screenwriting books that i picked up um one was called i think it's like how to write the screenplay or mm-hmm. something that yeah, yeah. something <laughs> right. that simple but it just opened, you know the whole idea of the three-act structure and how to write dialogue that's not on the nose. And then it just kind of clicked. It just, mm-hmm. you know, I, mean, I was how like, do oh, you do I that? get this. How do you write dialogue that's not on the nose? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm still struggling with it. But at least the, the book made it feel like, oh, f- this makes sense. The whole, like, this this whole idea of how intimidating it was to write a screenplay, kind of, it went away when I when someone articulated this thing that felt like I, I understood, but I hadn't quite put it into words yet. Yeah, You had a little bit of a roadmap now to yeah
1: apply that you and i was know, like
2: okay you know. and then again really and i don't follow this much anymore but just knowing that there was a 3 X structure mm-hmm. and having kind of benchmarks along the way it felt like the gulf from page one to page 120 or 110 was no longer as vast and terrifying when it's like you only have to get to page 25 to you know and then you start over again and you're just working to page 50 and then right. You're, then you're on, you know, and you're on the back half, and then you're just working at page seventy-five. And if you do it in chunks, all of a sudden it becomes much more manageable, <laughs> much less intimidating. That and reading a lot of shitty scripts written by people who are repped at CAA. Yeah, that is a gift, right? And is. You're like,
1: oh, wait a minute, yeah. this is
2: bad. Yeah. And they're at the top of the pile. Exactly.
1: Yeah. That is. That's really what's awesome common.
0: about film festivals. Yeah. You go to Sundance or. Not so much at Sundance, but you go to like some other, like an AFI film festival or Newport Beach film festival and you see a short film and you're like, ah, that was awful. I can make a movie way better than that. It's a weird way to make a movie. It's a weird way to gain confidence.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Just by laughing at someone else's (laughs) work. Yeah. yeah.
0: Especially on the page too,
1: because Mm -hmm. like there's such a clear um, comparison, you know, like you go to a film festival and it's like, okay, well, what camera do they shoot on? What budget do they have? Like what resources are at their disposal? When it's just writing, it's like. It's you and final draft versus another person in final draft. And that is that. Right? that. Yeah.
0: And sometimes, and the really good writers do stick out. I just read, I'm working on a screen write, screenplay right now, and so I was reading other screenplays for research, and I just read Wanted. Remember that movie? Uh, uh, the Angelina Jolie yeah. one? Yeah. So nice. that was by Derek Haas, who is now uh-huh. like the showrunner on all the Chicago shows, Chicago Man, Chicago yeah. and PD. Um, and it's like, The actual movie is quite a bit different from the screenplay, but the screenplay is, like, really riveting and written. Like, it just, like, pushes you through the slug lines and you're not missing anything. Um, And then I I read Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which is by Simon Kinberg, I think. Um, And also it's, like, so, it's, like, there's a metaphor there, but it's, like, so kind of kinetic that it's just, like, fun to read, which Mm -hmm. is so, most screenplays are not fun to read, you know. Right, right, yeah. But uh, I, I want to, again, for our listeners, I want to dive in on one thing that you probably don't care to talk about, but um, do all assistants at CAA make the same amount of money? Is there like a fixed rate? Y- yes, mostly.
2: I think every year you get some kind of bullshit raise, like, 100, like $150. <laughs> right? Yeah, like
1: half a percent or yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah.
2: But then there's this beautiful thing called overtime, <laughs> um, which they've gotten stingy with over the years because kids would just sit there till midnight being be right. like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing work and just let the clock run up. Right. So they got kind of strict with that around the time I started. But um, overtime's a way to get more money. And then depending on who you work for, if you work for one of the partners, I think they get paid a little more. Yeah, yeah. And they're asked to do things, you know, personal things, right. which technically none of us were supposed to be doing, but... Kill this person.
0: Kill this person <laughs> by and, tomorrow and morning. bury them. <laughs> um, and do... Is it enough to live off of like an assistant salary? It depends that's what year. you consider living. Sure. Like in an yeah. apartment in West Hollywood with a roommate or something. Barely. Yeah. Like you're eating a lot of cereal for dinner. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I imagine, I'm not, well, Matt went the corporate way a little bit. I yeah, but I, did, I never
2: was an assistant.
0: Yeah. But it is interesting to know because that's a pathway yeah. that a lot of people have taken. Um, yeah. That. And
2: there's a lot of writers who've started as assistants and it can help because if you write something, you can give it to a buddy of yours and they're actually in the position to, right. to do something with it. Hot Summer Nights got noticed because assistants started talking about it mm-hmm. and it got on tracking boards, yeah. assistant tracking boards, and then it made its way up to managers and then managers started calling. And But yeah, without the, without the assistants, it probably just would have
0: kind right. of gone away. And I'm assuming most of our listeners know this, but the blacklist is a list of the script in Hollywood that the most Hollywood people are talking about. Right. So it's like something you know, I, I, I don't, it shifted yeah. a little bit, too. Right. It, it started
1: and you would know better than I would. But it started as like literally like kind of people trading notes, like a formalized tracking board almost. And then now it's like a proper website where people
0: submit and like you can read stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, right. But I don't think you get on the blacklist that way. I think it's still think it's the isn't it a survey of Hollywood execs and their favorite unproduced scripts?
2: it is it's their favorite unproduced scripts of the year and they're all voted on and if you get uh, you know the most votes is at the top of the list and so on and so forth all the way down but they have started some sort of service now Mm -hmm. where you can submit scripts yeah but I think they're I think they've like Branded the term blacklist and they're using it now to do other things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, people are submitting like scripts and yeah. stuff. there's all sorts of it, and no, getting it's an notes, and there's the yeah. promise that if your script's good enough, we yeah. can find a home for it. I
0: so good. they're almost they're, acting like. Yeah, they have a show with James Spaner. Do they have a show now? Yeah, so they're acting <laughs> like, yeah, kind I, of like I, a movie. Like, it's, it's a thriller on oh, NBC. Right. It's called you're, the Blacklist. You're not 45, <laughs> which is no. You I'm just picking up on it now. That was a joke. Yeah, so so that's how you got on the blacklist through your agency connections and people you knew. And I mean, look, obviously the script was great, but that's how you got it to the right to be to float around in the right mm-hmm. circle. That's how the first script got on. That's how the Mississippi
2: Mud. Mm-hmm. Oh, was
0: that on the blacklist? Yeah, also?
2: they were both on the same year, so it was a big year. Whoa! Oh, are you serious?
0: Yeah. The same year? Yeah. Oh, maybe. Yeah. So I went two for mud. two that
2: year. Yeah. Um, and I was like, all right, I think I know how to write a screenplay now. The first Wait, your first screenplay,
0: screenplay you ever wrote was on the blacklist? Come on, man. And
2: the second the same
0: year. How that many is- drafts? Was it your first draft of the script? Mm-hmm. Which one? <laughs> no, no, no it was I'm not. kidding. <laughs> but, Almost. Um, that's awesome. I'm trying to find the Mississippi mud. Can I read the logline to that one? Yes, please I, think, I mean, everyone knows blacklist loglines are really interesting. Um, Knock yourself out. In the middle of major financial problems and down on his luck, Southerner's life begins to unravel when he accidentally runs over and kills the runaway girl. Damn. Dark. It's dark. Um, wow. That's crazy. And did people, do you know if the same people voted for both? I have no idea. Mississippi have no idea. I'm sure maybe a few of them did. Wow. So yeah. that was 2013. So it's obviously this is not a normal thing, that the first two scripts you write. Get on the blacklist um i was just listening to script notes today do you know that podcast i do yeah yeah. and they're they're like yeah you nothing like your your first 20 scripts are gonna be garbage just throw them away i keep Um, hearing that
2: 20 (laughs) scripts my god
0: i don't know i still haven't written 20 scripts i've written Um, eight i think yeah yeah well good job i mean yeah, I would just stop if I were you. I'd Be like, just 100% be done. 100 percent record retire, on blacklist. Retire script. after my tenth, oh, like Quentin. Um, yeah. Wait, okay. So now let's get back to what Matt was talking to you about. So your script's on the blacklist. It's 2013. Obviously, were you, you were repped at the time mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. it, and you got repped off of sending your script to your friend. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And then how do you how do you go from the script that people around town are talking about to actually getting it made? Getting it made. Um, Well, there was probably a year where I was trying to get it set up
2: um, because it was one of those scripts where people around town obviously appreciated the Mm -hmm. script, but no one wanted to make it Mm -hmm. for a number of reasons because of, you know, the size of it and the fact that it was mostly probably going to be unknown teenage cast. Mm -hmm. It's rated R. There was some drug content. It didn't exactly have a happy ending. And for what, you know, for all those things, it also wasn't the most... um, It wasn't the cheapest script Mm -hmm. to to try to produce. So there's a lot of things working against it. Everyone liked it, but no one wanted to make it. So that was what I ran into for about a year there. You had to direct it? or No, I wasn't even thinking about directing it. I wanted just to see it get made. I wanted to bring another director on. And we went the route at first of trying to get some bigger, more established directors on, and just getting them to pay attention to anything is hard. And then a producer and I started trying to find like um, young commercial directors or music video directors and have them come on. And it was around there that, um, I mean, I had formulated a very specific idea of what I thought the movie should look like and feel like, and I basically had a pitch of my own in my head of what I wanted them to come into the meeting and say. And they were all all very talented uh, directors in their own right, but they came in and they didn't quite see the movie the way I did. And that's when I got this kind of arrogant notion that like, you know what? I, I know exactly what I think this movie should be and fuck it. Like I should be the one to direct it. It's, it was similar to the feeling of reading a lot of shitty scripts and being like, ah, fuck it. I'm going to write one of my own. So that's kind of where it came
0: from. And, um, were there any like really good presentations? Like did anyone come in with like a rip-o-matic or like posters or like people came in with posters, people had playlists put
2: together, um, yeah, yeah. And I felt, I mean, people put a lot of effort into it. We met some talented people who I'm sure would have made a really good movie. But at that point, I had just kind of become mm-hmm. possessive over it. And I sure. think I hadn't admitted it to myself yet, but I think I, at that point I wanted to direct it. Mm-hmm. I just hadn't, I didn't have the courage to tell myself that or especially say it out loud to anyone else. But eventually I did, and I remember telling my agents I wanted to... Uh, direct and i could just hear them kind of deflate through the phone. <laughs> right. They're, they're like there like, goes the money. There goes everything. But um, they set me up with a new company that was they had just shown up in town, imperative entertainment, who had a lot of financing and were looking for a kind of uh, they were looking for a blacklist script. They were looking for something small that they could make with a young filmmaker that they could, you know, be very hands-on with and it was just right place, right
0: time and and were they the gave me the green light. Was there, they were looking for movies around that budget? Yeah. Yeah, I think they went around to all the agencies
2: and they were like, give us your best blacklist script that could be made for $5 million. And I, I think that was that simple. And did they yeah. care about stars at all? Like name, cast or anything? Uh, uh, a little bit, but we were looking at We were looking at like 19-year-old kids and there's, there aren't really any yeah. stars. They're you know? either
1: Disney kids
2: yeah. or right. you haven't heard of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we were just trying to find the best actors possible and people that we thought maybe could become stars. Mm-hmm. And,
0: and you kind of hit the jackpot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you found Timothy Chalamet. Um, well, he was I wouldn't
2: say I found him.
0: So I, I, he's been in some other
2: things, obviously. But you taught him, him how me. to act. Yeah. I taught him pretty much everything he does about <laughs> <You're> acting. Just <laughs> I just can't say I found him. Right. But yes, he owes a lot to me.
1: That's cool. So then, but, but to to clarify though, you guys, because you shot kind of a while ago, it's been a long road. It to has release. Been. Yeah. So he wasn't the Timothy. Oscar nominated. He wasn't Oscar nominated at the time. Obviously, no.
2: had no. he booked uh, "Call Me by Your Name"? Like, did no. was there? No. Yeah. He had been. I had seen him in. He did a season. He was in season two of Homeland, mm-hmm. um, which I thought he was great in. He had a smaller role in Interstellar. He played uh, Matthew McConaughey's son in like the first act mm. of Interstellar. Oh,
1: right. Yeah. When
2: like he's in the cornfields and he's like, dry, you know, that's yeah. Timmy. And, and then he was in like a small South by Southwest um, indie film. And those were the three things I saw of him. I thought he was just, I thought he was great. And he had this, you know, lovable boy next door thing to him. But he also there was something kind of, I don't know. He seems smart. He's a smart mm-hmm. kid, but he also seems there is something kind of devilish about him mm-hmm. in the best way A, a little possible. dangerous, yeah. A little dangerous, yeah, yeah. kind of like, you know, a young Leonardo DiCaprio. He's sweet, but there's
0: something about him. And it looks like he could get into some trouble. Yeah. Well, in Ladybird, he's like... Ladybird, he's, he's a like bad boy. A bad, yeah. yeah. Have you... You watched it, right, oh, Matt? Oh, yeah. I'm, Matt's I'm from, from Sacramento. So I know, I know, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. remember if you liked it or not.
1: I, I liked it very much, but I was thinking about Sacramento the whole time, basically. <laughs> I was right. like... Oh, yeah. It's Sacramento. Yeah. <laughs> or, or LA, it's or not Sacramento. For Sacramento. Oh, really? Did they yeah, not yeah. shoot it there?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, that's cool. So what, what year did you shoot it? Uh, we shot it summer of 2015.
2: Okay. We're so coming up on our three-year anniversary. Can you believe it? Of the filming. Of the filming.
0: Yeah. Wait, so I guess the last thing about getting it made for me is like no one... Ever like did they ever say okay we got the money but maybe well, let's consider a different director yeah, or well, go challenged? shoot a test or prove to us or storyboard or do something to show us that you can direct this movie? No, they. Didn't.
2: <laughs> I just want everyone to know that's never going to happen, probably again to me or likely anyone else. I just got really I got really lucky with them and they were just. But did you were, have to pitch your vision?
0: Did you? have I to did. Say, I like, pitched
2: my vision. Yes, but. As far as, like, proof of concept, mm-hmm. is like, go make something else first. I had tried for months beforehand to, like, get money to make a short film or a mm-hmm. sizzle reel, and I just couldn't even get that going. So in a weird, bizarre way, it was easier to go and make a $5 million feature than it was mm-hmm. to try to go and make, you know, a $10,000 short film. And I wonder if that if you had, like, figured out a way to, you know, get that
1: $10,000 short going, if it maybe would have hurt your chances. Right. You if know, that shorts sort of, not
0: like killer doesn't get into yeah. Sundance, doesn't yeah? Because
2: people have been like, oh, you know,
0: yeah,
1: it's okay. Because you're on a hot streak, right? Like you've got yeah. two blacklist scripts, mm-hmm. right? This everybody loves this movie; they want to make it. Like anything that would keep you from proving that you could do it, maybe would be a liability. That's really interesting. It's a, yeah, it's a yeah. good point. Yeah. It
0: is, but there people have. Like that, that's worked for people like Josh Trank. I know he sure, yeah, yeah. They had him shoot like a test of a scene from Chronicle. I'm
1: not saying shoot a test is a bad idea, but I right. think that, like, with a happy ending like this,
0: you know, why, <laughs> right. why, jinx, why it, yeah, right. my jinx it? Yeah. Um, so, how did you what did you say when you pitched your vision? Did you make documents and things or reference movies? Or, well, no, I didn't know I was heading into a
2: pitch meeting, I thought I was heading into like um, just a general meeting because um, that year I'd been going on a number of general meetings just across mm. town and. They had read the script. Uh-huh. Uh, they had read both of those uh, the Blacklist scripts. I went in there and they said, we love both of those, both of them. We want to make both of them. We heard you're interested in directing. Which one do you want to direct? I'm not kidding you. <laughs> and it's never, ever happened. So Nothing awesome. has ever been that easy in my life since that moment. And I don't expect it to ever be again. But well, it was just kind of one of those things. Right, you know? right they place, wanted to right make time. the movie. I You know, I think also, though, it's important to acknowledge that, like,
1: everybody gets a certain set of opportunities and chances, right? Mm-hmm. And not everybody sticks the landing, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, you, you, it would have been easy to make a bad movie that no one wants to release, mm-hmm. right? But you did it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, luck, luck always has something to do with it. But, like, it's hard to write two great screenplays and also be, you know, working at CAA for a long time. Like, there's a lot of stuff that you know, maybe you're glossing over that is that hard work. Right.
0: Well, you went to a lot of meetings where they didn't say that. Sure. Before that happened. Right. Yeah. It's not like that was your first meeting.
2: Yeah. And this is, again, this was, there were many years of rejection and
0: all of that. I just
2: felt like that no one wants to hear about. Being rejected over and over again fair enough, fair enough, but I guess what I'm saying is I think just when like,
0: other people are rejected they it like feels to hear, better to yeah. be like ah I'm <laughs> yeah. not the
1: only one yeah you don't need to like whine but yeah the, I guess what all I'm saying is that acknowledging all of that hard work sure, right? it's, sure. it wasn't literally
2: overnight no, know? no there were many years between finishing that script and actually making the movie yeah and then making the movie there was plenty of you know I mean that was difficult mm-hmm. um, there were a number of people that we approached in various forms of being part of the film. I won't get into too many specifics that, you know, people that we wanted to get that didn't want anything to do with it. And you know, it's, there's always going to be someone who's like at a different point in their career than you, who feels like working with you might be too much of a risk or not worth their time. Right. Was there a moment ever where you second guessed your decision to direct the film? It's a good question. And because I didn't think I was ready
0: or because why? Um, Yeah. I mean, all sorts of reasons, right? Like you didn't want everyone. You were like, oh, maybe everyone else was right. Like this is, I am in over my head. Was there ever a moment like that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was less because I,
2: it was less because I felt like I couldn't pull it off. It was, the feeling was more like, is this really the movie I want to make first? Because you're going to be judged. Mm -hmm before, you know, it's the first movie you make yeah. and people are going to kind of, one first, put, right. You, right. you only get one yeah. first feature and people are going to put you into a box
0: but I do based think, off what you make. Yeah. Yeah. I think that happens to everyone because you get tired of your, you're working on this thing for like three years and you're like, ah, oh, should I have made like a Fast stylized crime caper when I should have done like an adult drama right. or a kids whatever or
1: yeah your taste changes so much over three yeah. years too right you're consuming so much other media and being inspired by other things I right. it's like ah oh, man maybe I did want to be Judd Apatow instead you
0: know? right exactly so I especially think, if you're a fan of everything which is a problem a lot of us have
2: especially because when I had written it I was still kind of learning what movies like what cinema was and what movies were and then by the time I went to direct it five years later. Like you said, my taste had changed. I had mm-hmm. moved on to different filmmakers I was inspired by. Different, mm-hmm. I had seen like hundreds of more films since then, and I was so. By the time we we're in pre-production, I'm kind of looking at the movie as like a piece of old work that I had done, mm-hmm. but still trying to convince myself that I was still in love with it. And mm-hmm. you know, I feel like it's kind of like a marriage. It's like. <laughs> I don't know, she's changed a little bit, but yeah, I still love her, you know. Yeah. yeah. We're going to see this all the way through to the end.
0: Yeah. So I have some questions. Like I said, I saw the movie last night. I just have some technical questions because there's some mm-hmm. like really awesome shots. Um, so that you have like a couple times, I guess it, it, you kind of revisit this shot, but it's like an aerial shot where we're flying over what I'm assumed to be Cape Cod and then we come down to an overhead shot of the car mm-hmm. driving, mm-hmm. how did you do that? Visual effects, hundred percent, hundred percent. You couldn't tell.
2: My visual effects artist is going to be very pleased that you couldn't tell. No,
0: and I don't know if you know this, but I do visual effects. Really? Too. Yeah. So yeah. there's no aerial in he that also at all. Just bought a drone. So I also own a drone. Yeah. <laughs> Were you like you're like? There's no way that could be a drone. Well, I thought maybe you married either married two shots together or. Yeah, I mean, there's no. It's a very precise shot, you know. But like, you've seen Anton Fuqua do. Yeah, you thought it was like like that
1: drone, and then you kind of like match the move. Basically, is that what you're saying? Or yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, it looks good. I mean, the lighting's nice. Is it raining in that scene? Yeah, it's raining. The rain was tricky because, like, I don't know. We seem
2: like the same age, like playing video games, you know, in like the mid early two thousands. The way rain looks, Mm -hmm. it's just this kind of like coming down diagonally (laughs) and statically and i don't know it's always tricky to make computer animated rain especially Mm -hmm. when you're supposed to be moving through it so the rain was probably the trickiest part but yeah it was one guy in his garage he built that whole shot it took him like six months
0: no way for one shot yeah it wasn't how much did it cost i can i could spend six months doing that (laughs) um uh okay so that's that shot's awesome um and then you have the shot It's kind of similar to a shot from Whiplash where there's a car accident. Uh uh Uh-huh,
2: uh-huh, uh-huh.
0: How did you do that? So it's like a car accident from inside the car and Mm -hmm. it's very violent, right? Yeah, we had um, our actor sitting on
2: a car and the car was kind of locked into this rig that was like wrapped around all of its wheels. And then there was kind of like a gigantic hydraulic arm that extended out like 12 feet off to the side. And then the rig would violently pull the car so the entire kind of cockpit of the car rocked violently to the left and at the same time we kind of blew in fake glass mm-hmm. so it looked like there was an impact coming from the side and it would knock his whole body over to the left and then of course green screen in front of him.
0: And it's not a stunt person, it's like the actual actor? Yeah, Timmy made
2: is all his own stunts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and is it, did you try it out before you had him do it? <laughs> no,
2: like the stunt guy did and kind of like like banged days. his head and came out a little dizzy and was like, yeah, man, it's all good.
0: It's all good to go. <laughs> and so with that type of shot, have you ever done anything like that, Matt? Like, used a giant rig like that? I haven't used, like, a hydraulic rig, no. Yeah. Yeah, no. me neither. Had, so, but do you say, like, this is what I picture? I picture we're in the back seat. We're seeing this. Car gets hit from the side. And then you... T- I pictured something much more elaborate. I pictured
2: the the $25 million. I, my vision of that when I wrote it, was like the cameras chasing behind a car, and you see a fucking truck come and knock the car, and the car does thirteen somersaults off the Uh-oh, side of the road. Oh yeah! And like day one of you know production, they're like, "So that's not going to happen." <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's just let that one go. That's not going to happen. Let's talk about some more practical ways of doing this. So we ended up with with that, but I did. I thought it was important to at least get the impact. Mm-hmm. But if you notice, you never see the car that hits him mm. it's nowhere to be found because that was just it was going to be too difficult and too expensive right well it's from the inside so I, the inside. I thought it was really
1: yeah. effective i, I love know. like an interior car like do you guys remember in adaptation they do it as well yeah and i, I love that, that one's very version. violent it's so yeah. good right oh, yeah there's um because they're backing out and you see it coming mm-hmm. and then oh boy it's all it's nasty um th- this brings up a, another kind of macro question that i had for you so as a first-time director you're on set And, you know, like $5 million, you said, is around the budget. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of money. And also with car crashes and drone shots and blah, 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 it runs out real fast, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So how do you decide uh, what battles you're going to really pick? You know, how do you say, like, hey, listen, this car crash really needs to have a ton of impact. So, like, we're not going to compromise it beyond a certain
2: point. That's another really good question. I think, well, that was part of the biggest challenge of making the film is because of course you want, you want everything you it sure. exactly how you dreamed up. And then it's just, it's a lot of it is coming down to picking the lesser of two evils. It's mm-hmm. what can, which one can I live with? Mm-hmm. You know, which one can I not live with? Um,
0: did you have to fight for a lot of that stuff? Like, could you, did yeah. anyone at some point say like, can't we just see him driving and then cut to black and hear a car accident of and course. then pick up with a there's wrecked al- car? Yeah.
2: There's always, like, people are always throwing out those kind of ideas and you know, your skin's gonna crawl a little yeah. bit because, again, from where I started seeing the car accident in my mind to where we ended up was already to me enough of a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So, when they start talking about, like, do we even need the car
0: accident? Can, just,
2: <laughs> can it just like cut to black and we hear the crash? And then
0: so, I love producers, yeah. but they are sometimes they do not care about the end product <laughs> they a lot wanted, of times. They
2: just want to, yeah, their job is to just get the movie in the can, yeah, get something that cuts together, but you know. To our line producers' credit, this guy named Nate Kelly. He, the movie probably would not have been finished if it were not for him. Mm. And him and I, you know, he's the kind of guy. He like he sleeps two hours a night. All he eats are gummy bears. I don't know how he's still alive. He's just (laughs) an absolute machine. They're the vitamin types. The vitamin (laughs) gummies. gummies. He's He's wonderful, and he's probably the only reason we were able to finish anything. But with that said. Him and I were at each other's throats the entire movie. His job was to tell me bad news. His job was to tell me, you know, he was the guy who was like, do we need the car accident? Do we need, there's a whole sequence at the, um, like like the carnival. he was like, do we actually need a carnival? Can't they just be just walking down the street or something?
0: Yeah. Where where was that carnival? It's rural Georgia somewhere. Like a real carnival, right?
2: Like a real carnival.
0: Like that Ferris wheel, is that real? They were it's
2: real yeah that's not cgi that's actually real yeah they were, i they love were,
0: that shot where they're on the car and the ferris wheels in the back yeah road.
2: yeah the carnival is passing through town and they were nice enough to let us come up and shoot shoot one of the knights up there
0: yeah it, that's a big part of your job is to fight for things that everyone is telling you mm-hmm. don't you don't need mm-hmm, and yeah. you watch your movie and it's not like a two shot and overs you know it's like the camera's moving and there's like tra- sure. like well thought out transitions and there's sound and narration and you're trying to give like a glimpse of the town people mm-hmm. in the middle of some other story like it's you know there's a lot to yeah, it and yeah. it you could see a v- much simpler way to shoot that movie that would not have that kinetic energy in it, it would yeah. not the not rock right. and roll way right. um, so it's cool what can I ask you about a few other shots of course <laughs> So, uh, so there's a scene where they go to a party at a house, like close to the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. And you do one of those like dream steady camp shots where you follow Timmy the and, Copacabana shot. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. You follow the, our two main characters and you walk through this Cape Cod house and there's what looked to me like a hundred extras wearing like period clothes, all like relatively good looking kids. <laughs> that are like drinking and making out and partying and smoking and doing all these things. And you're going through kind of small hallways and leaving our characters and coming back to our characters and ending up in like a room filled with smoke with people passed out on the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, Like how and it felt real, like reminded me of like Project X. Mm. Um, And I've tried to do those shots before, but usually I have like eight extras, which literally Eight extras at a party looks like nobody's right. at the party. Yeah,
1: it looks, you're better off with no
0: one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then you just try to do long lengths. How did you, how long did it take you to get that shot going? And how did you direct like all the extras to do things at the exact right time? Like how complicated is, is that shot?
2: Believe it or not, that shot was less complicated than it may have, may have looked. But there were other shots in the movie that didn't look complicated at all that were much more challenging. Mm. Um, and it took a lot longer to get right. But that shot, I I knew I wanted to bring him into the party with kind of a tracking shot. So it was just about finding the right house, finding the right location that that we could do that with. It was also finding a house that looked like a house that could exist in Cape Cod.
0: Because mm-hmm. you shot in Atlanta?
2: We shot in Atlanta. And Cape Cod is a very specific
0: kind of right. architecture. Isn't that... Kind of- It's the name of an architecture, right? Yeah. The name of an
2: architecture and like the grey clapboard shingles and the white shutters and so it has a very specific look that you don't really find many other places in the country, Mm -hmm. especially in the South. The South has like a lot of brick and Mm -hmm. marble and all that. So that was hard. And everything down in Atlanta was like brand new. Mm -hmm. Everyone's renovated and so we had to find a big kind of like, you know, East Coast money a, a house that felt like old east coast money that hadn't been renovated mm-hmm. um and man it took weeks and weeks and weeks to find
0: and what's uh like what to you makes the house look cinematic like in a way like a lot of hallways or like kind of various I, I doorways given, i had
2: given up the dream of finding this i just wanted something that looked like it could have existed in cape cod uh and looked like it you know was old money and it looked like a rich kid's parents were out of town that's at that point, I would given up the dream of, like, the perfect, mm-hmm. the perfect hallway. So we just found this house, and we were like, all right, what are we going to do to make that tracking shot work? So me and Javier, the cinematographer, and the study cam up, we just kind of walked through the front door and kind of meandered around, and we kind of knew where we wanted the boys to end up, because we knew where the preceding scene uh, or the scene coming after would be, and kind of reverse-engineered a way to get from the front door all the way to the end door or the end room and, um, walked through it a few times and we and found the the route that felt most organic.
0: And then did you say, okay, like, were you writing down, like at this doorway there should be a couple making out and over here there should be people taking shots and over here someone's like,
2: no, we weren't, we just kind of had a feeling of mm-hmm.
0: like, how did you get yeah. all of that choreographed? I guess. Did you do it yourself or do you have an AD that helped you?
2: Well, it was a, it was a group of us. Um, Because we had practiced the shot a few times, but we had never practiced it with extras. So we had just Uh kind of done a dry run because we didn't have the extras until the day we were shooting. And then on that day, we have a bunch of people standing around, and we just kind of you know move them and place them. Sure. And And you
1: say, "Okay, we're in the kitchen. You guys do shots."
2: Right. Exactly. And like, what would the most organic, You know, what would people be doing? Yeah. So
0: were you allowed to talk to the extras?
2: Yeah. Was I not supposed to? I don't
0: don't know if that's a California thing. I, I think. Or a sag I had, thing I or a I've DGA thing my, or what it, it is. It's a sag thing um,
1: that ADs have told me not to direct. You, it, it, if you direct an extra, then they get upgraded. They get right? bumped. Yeah. So you can do omnis. Oh. You can be like, like everybody, you know, woo when, you know, Timothy walks in the door or whatever. You can do that sort of stuff where it's like a bunch of people. But as soon as someone's featured and a director is talking to them and directing them, they would get an upgrade basically
2: interesting i thought it was they only got upgraded if they set a, a line like if yeah. they actually spoke it
1: depends on how big of a hard ass everybody yeah, is yeah how strict and also th- this is i should say
0: was just an ad telling me no not but to i've talk had that stress. I've had that happen multiple times because I used to kind of when I first started directing, I would be like, yeah. "What's your name, Jenny? Cool, maybe we, you like when he walks yeah, in, yeah. you notice when him you and do walk non Like
1: stuff, you like you get in there, you get to like give them a little backstory, and like it's fun, right? You know? But then,
0: yeah. yeah, I've been on sets where the ADs like, uh, "Or, or just tell me what you want." Yeah. And then, and now, like if I know I have a crowd, like when I hire an AD, that's the only thing I care about is are they good with crowds, <laughs> you mm-hmm, know? Because mm-hmm. like I've been. Worked with some really not great ads that don't make the atmosphere feel real, you know. Or honestly, it could also be that you had a, like a smart producer
1: who was like, Well, okay, it's a party scene. I, I've done this enough times to know that the director's going to want to upgrade a couple people,
0: mm-hmm. and they didn't
2: make it your problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could have been that, and I would have never known.
0: Yeah, yeah, were all those union extras? Uh, they must have been. I mean, where did you get all those kids from? They we had a casting extras casting down in Atlanta. And how many people were in that house, do you remember? We may have had
2: 50 that day. It was, oh, our, biggest, it was our biggest day. We had and two days at that house. Them? We were recycling them and like hiding you know, mm, hiding yeah. them. And ones that were featured in another scene were kind of pushed away into the corner for that shot. Um, but they were great. I mean, and I think I've heard extras, and depending on what city you're shooting in, the extras are going to be very different. Mm-hmm. um i think also age is a big difference age too because yeah, these yeah, yeah. all
0: looked. i'm assuming they're all like 18 right
2: yeah they're all like you know 18 to 20 22 23 yeah um but just being in atlanta i feel like they were just very excited to be there and they were they didn't there wasn't this kind of ego of like oh i'm a professional sure. extra <laughs> right. i need direction or they're weird that's yeah, the other well, thing that happens yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, yes. you get, like a 50 year old is
1: like i've been doing this
2: my whole
0: life and they tuck your ear off and it's a nightmare. Yeah.
2: I didn't have too many extra nightmares. They were all pretty chill. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah.
0: Um, okay. So, last technical question. Oh, um, wait, wait. Hold on.
1: Actually, um, did you stitch together multiple takes on the study cam mm-hmm. shot? That
2: was uh, take one That nice. was take seven of eight. Nice.
0: Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. No, it's, it does not look stitched. There aren't like crosses and mm-hmm. like beams or anything. It's like, it looks like the real thing. Um so there's a lot of weather in your movie. Mm-hmm. It's raining, they're driving, they're is that how much of that is scripted and how much of that were you like, uh, why why are we shooting in the rain again? Yeah, well,
2: yeah. Um I think every scene that it, in the movie that it's raining it's supposed to be. Now there's a lot of scenes that were ruined because we were shooting in Atlanta in the summer and it you know, there's like a thunderstorm nearly every afternoon. Mm-hmm. So we got cut short almost every day that we were shooting outside or we would have to hold and wait for the storm to pass through so but yet we didn't use any of the natural weather because it's so spotty Mm -hmm. you know it'd go from a bright sunny day to overcast and thundering and then it'd be bright and sunny again it was just too difficult to try to roll with that and capture that because we couldn't control it Um, but the whole back third of the movie where the hurricane comes that was all scripted and that's those were rain towers and that was controlled by us.
0: And was that fun?
2: Well, it's fun because you're standing back and you're looking at this
0: tower. Or can you tell us, our listeners, what a rain tower is if they don't know? It's a, it, it, it is what it sounds like it is.
2: It's a gigantic tower that sprinkles rain down on you from like almost 100 feet above you so it looks like, you know, it's raining.
0: And where, where do you set up the tower? Do you well, decide that's
2: that? where it's no longer fun because <laughs> it becomes it's very difficult because these things are you know the base of the tower is essentially like a fire truck because it has like a mm-hmm. I don't know 800 gallon tank in it and it's enormous because it, it has to have a very heavy base to support this gigantic you know metal arm that's 100 feet up in the sky hanging over everyone's head. So you have to find a, a place to park this truck. And it can't be too far away because the arm is only so long. And it also
1: Yeah, I feel like there's maybe logistical challenges. There's tons of, like, of
2: logistical challenges. Like
1: the tower fills up, maybe or something. You can't move it around you ever. Can't, you can't move it and, and it takes a while. Yeah. And power lines are it's where it gets really <laughs> Have you used one before? I've been on set for uh there was one we did a Key and Peel sketch where it, it was like a football game, but they were in the rain the whole time. Mm. And You know, it was exactly that, but, like, you would overhear people constantly talking about, like, oh, okay, like, well, we only have 15 minutes before we have to refill, or you swap the tank out, and they have to be
2: primed, all sorts of stuff that sounds gnarly. Yeah, and it's expensive. You know, every time you turn it on, you can, the money is literally draining out of the budget. And people are, everyone's getting wet. Everyone's getting wet. It's really loud. Plus, we had gigantic. Oh, um,
0: like you can't record dialogue while it's gone?
2: Yeah, most of that's ADR because oh, wow. we had you know, the rain so loud and then we have gigantic like 20 foot fans that are blowing so the rain looks like it's blowing <laughs> sideways. So you can't really hear anything. You just scream action and then you're watching as your two actors are screaming at each other and I don't even know if they hear each other. They're just kind of saying their lines when they think their lines should be said. And you're like, I don't know, it looked good. Their faces looked good. But you're still dry, right? Like the spread isn't so big that you can't set a village for You can go life. hide off, right, yeah, and be... Yeah. But I kept, I was soaked because I kept running out there to like, because we'd keep rolling. It was easier to just keep sure. the rain on than shut it off each time. So I'd run out and I'd give a note or two and run back to <laughs> safety. But at that point I was drenched. Sure, right. you are in the, like a poncho
0: and you are yeah, soaking. Yeah,
2: just looking like, crazy. Yeah, you're trying to so. maintain some decorum in front of your actors. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you come from a writing background and this stuff is all like really kind of technical and stuff. But it, from watching the movie, it seems like you enjoyed it. Are you like, what was your experience yeah. like? Was that fun to get dive into the. The technical the, stuff? Yeah. The physics. Oh, of I love. I love.
2: Yeah. No, I love the, the making of a movie. The actual, that's why I appreciate all these tech. I, I've done a day of press today and not there. I don't think there was a single technical question. What's so Timothy Chalamet it? like though? <laughs> there was a lot of that. There was a lot of that. What's that, his? That's favorite? how
1: we pitch the show, actually, to <laughs> PR people. It's like directors are really going to enjoy this conversation because <laughs> it's not that question. Because yeah. that's yeah. usually what we get. Yeah, yeah. What is? Sorry. He, what does he eat for lunch? Yeah, sure.
2: What does he like? <laughs> um, you were saying though, you were having fun with what the duck- The stuff. making of the movie. I is, do. I do like. The, and I remember liking that. I remember going to like Disneyland or Disney World when I was a kid and just getting to see the behind the scenes mm-hmm. and getting to see how things. Are made getting to see the magic of the movies, right. the that was always, yeah, that was always exciting to me.
1: And when you were kind of like, so you would come in with basically with an idea for how you wanted to execute the scene and then how do you communicate that to your team? And then how do they collaborate with you to
2: actually bring it all to life? Uh, well, a lot of that is actually figured out in pre-production mm-hmm. um, where the production designer and the cinematographer and I will talk about what we think is right for the scene and how many setups we think we can, Mm -hmm. how many setups we'd love to get, how many setups we think we can get, and how many setups we absolutely must get in case, you know, Mm -hmm. things start going south. So we have that kind of going in. When you start scouting locations, those usually start changing Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden you wanted to shoot a master shot and then, you know... Um Two over the shoulders, and then you realize like maybe this master shot's not gonna look so good, so mm-hmm. you start adapting and maybe you start with just two close ups and you pull out to like a medium and so it starts changing based on your location um. So you all kind of head into the day or head into each scene knowing what you're supposed to do. And you meet up in the morning and we walk through the day.
0: And do you rehearse with your actors on the set?
2: Well, then that's when it changes the third time is when the actors show up. And I remember there was a scene we had mapped out perfectly. We had shot listed it and storyboarded it. And we had scouted the location. and We had walked through everything. And then Thomas Jane shows up. And I'm like, all right, Thomas, you, you know, you're going to kind of start on the front steps and then you're going to say these two lines and you're going to, you're gonna walk. T- you're gonna walk down here, and then you're gonna hit this mark. And he's like, "I'm not walking off these fucking steps." <laughs> Was uh, is he like a method actor? He, 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 uh, I don't. I mean, I, I didn't know where the character stopped and Thomas Jane began. <laughs> uh-huh. He might have been. He might have been in. Uh, he might have been in character the whole time. I can't tell what he is. Is he's intense? Mm-hmm. That's what he is. He's very intense, <laughs> and but focused and committed, and it makes you feel like you're making a real movie because he's there to do the work Mm -hmm. um and it did it was a good thing for me it felt like i mean this guy's done 50 movies and tv shows and here i am kind of telling him what to say and what where to walk and Mm -hmm. it's like that's you know shame on me that's kind of the first time director mistake is treating the actors like trained monkeys Mm -hmm. instead of walking through the scene with them seeing what they would do naturally and then being like okay okay This is what he's going to do. Let's put the camera in the right place. Mm -hmm. And I think moving forward, when I make another movie, that's probably going to be more of a method of approach. It's like see what they do and adapt versus having a plan and then trying to mold them into it. Did you find any other little nuggets like that where you were like, oh, on the next one, I'm going to do it differently? Yeah. I mean, every day. Yeah, Almost every scene, it was like, I wish I could have that scene back. I would do that differently. I think... And then times it would it would go, you know it went well and I was like, let me remember to do that again. Mm-hmm. And any specific lessons for our listeners? two specifics okay. would be one is a technical aspect, which is you usually need less coverage than you think you do. Oh, um, and there's very interesting ways of reframing a shot within the same take. So you can mm-hmm. start in a wide, move into kind of a medium an end and end in a close and you can do it all in the same in mm-hmm. the same take if the blocking is right mm-hmm. and the camera movement is planned out so then you're not doing three setups it's kind of moving to one and it gives the movie it's more
0: inter- it's just visually more interesting right. to watch mm-hmm. it does re- unfortunately require good actors too
2: <laughs> it requires good actors it requires a good team but it also in the long run You'll be able to shoot more, mm-hmm. and you'll spend less time picking the equipment up and turning it around and doing this, that, and the other. Right. Um, it can get tricky in the edit room, sure. you know, because maybe you want some more options. But at least from kind of what I looked, what I look at from like the directing craft, I'm going to try to do that more. Would you say on that front,
1: like in the example of like you're in a wide, you move into a medium, and then a close, kind of in the same take? Did you would you prefer to? change the times in which or change the cues for the camera so that like you have a longer wide and then like less is each time take, the, yeah is the each same team the same um camera movement pacing for the camera or is it um would you change that up
2: would i change yeah i mean like again when i had first kind of started doing that on hot summer nights i was just so happy that it was working that i wasn't mm-hmm. trying to get too cute i think moving forward yeah absolutely i think you might, you know, have an idea of when the camera should start moving in closer and maybe it's a little too soon or maybe you're a little too late. And again, having time to be able to do it over and over again is really helpful. And again, letting the actors guide you there.
1: Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. I, you know, it's funny. I think you're helping me realize a thing that I, as a director, tend to admire in other directors is that ability to not worry about coverage quite so much, you know, Mm -hmm. like I, I tend to shoot things too TV style. Yeah. And it it comes from a lot of improv. I shoot two cameras all the time. So Mm -hmm. like, I can't tell you how many of my scenes are like a master and two overs and it's boring. Right. And your movie is the opposite of that. It's got that move, those moves and it's sexy and fun and whips around and it's fascinating to see someone kind of stick to those cool shots Mm -hmm. because those are the ones that always
2: fall off immediately. Yeah, well, as you know, there's also a limit to how much you're going to do, right? Sure, of course. And picking yeah. and choosing. So you're not just doing a, oh, look at me, I have a steady cam. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. so does everyone, asshole, yeah. I don't care. Right. So it's, part of it is having a little more self-control next mm-hmm. time. and Interesting, yeah. Just finding that balance of when to kind of have a little bit of fun and be, an indul- and be indulgent and when to just sit back and make sure the story's being told. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's one of those things, every movie you make, right. you're going to, be adapting, so that's one thing. And then the other thing is again, it's actor based, and it's learning to kind of, especially if you're a writer, learning to let go of what's on the page. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you shoot a lot of improv, sure. like yeah. let, let go, and you might have poured over this scene twenty five times and done notes and perfected every comma. And mm-hmm.
0: But that's what got you the job.
2: It gets it gets you in there, and it gets the people with the money to sign off. But then you get there and you're rehearsing it, and the actors will look at it once and go, "I'm not going to say that." <laughs> How about this? And their version's just simpler and more honest. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's about not being too precious about it and being like, I think that is better. Now, of course, they're not always right. You know, so sometimes, you know... What do you do in that
0: situation? Do you do the, like, let's do one as scripted in one. You can give them one, yeah. Or you can say, mm, you know, I think. Uh, the producer I, really yeah, wants it, to get this line. It
2: depends on your relationship. Yeah. Thomas Jane, I'd always give him one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whatever
0: he wants. He does we'll, pack we'll, heat we'll do on thom- set, though. <laughs> we'll do the Thomas take. Yeah. Um, I have, sorry, one last question. You have Terminator footage in your movie. How did you get that?
2: Do you know, um, I think it was six seconds and it
0: cost us eleven grand. That's yeah reasonable. Is I mean, it? I've, <sighs> it's one of the most iconic movies of all time. You are uh, Matt Barber, and an editor that's been on here before. He does a lot of music, his own music, uh, supervising on stuff he edits, and he told me like stuff from the you know '90s and 2000s. Like that's the most expensive music. So that's the stuff that. Instantly someone hears and like mm-hmm. can relate to mm-hmm. across this giant age group, so like, yeah, like what movie would cost more than the Terminator? you know I guess um, I
2: was just to see that price tag for you know six seconds of footage is sure. pretty brutal, but
0: yeah, yeah, but I mean, it makes me think like oh, if I made a twenty five thousand dollars short that was about a kid trying to become the Terminator be- mm-hmm. inspired by that movie I, oh. So for eleven grand, I can get that footage. <laughs> well, to be fair, also, it kind of depends on who's making the movie, right?
1: Like uh, sometimes the, uh, with music licensing in particular, like right. who's
2: right. asking is part of the whole equation, mm-hmm.
0: right? Does mm-hmm. A24 get involved in that or you already have that was, everything
2: signed off? Yeah, that was before A24. Yeah. That was we were still in post-production for that. Um, cool. One final question. The movie's coming out. I guess
1: you've had your premiere in that. It was premiered at South Bay already, right? It
2: premiered at South by and then we actually had a special LA screening last night. Okay. So how yeah. do you feel?
1: Well, what's it like to have your movie play in LA?
2: Wow. What does it feel like? I think it feels, um, well, obviously it's exciting and special. I think there's a gigantic amount of relief, if I can be honest, yeah. that it's just been, it's been building for so long and here it is and it's out there and there's no more tweaking with it or taking it back mm-hmm. and people are going to see it and. They're either going to like it or they're not. I hope they like it. But here it is. And it's ready to be, you know, I feel like a proud father sending my kid off to college. Yeah. You know, it's over. Here it is.
0: And how many, how wide is the release? I don't know yet, actually. Is I should it, be able to tell you guys, but. It's, um, it's coming out in America theatrically, right? It's or- coming
2: out theatrically across the world, but I don't have n- numbers for you guys. Mm, okay. Hopefully I can get those and I'll email them over.
0: But most of our listeners can go
2: to their local
0: or can, well, can it depends it how
2: wide your, your listener base is, but I think we're starting in select cities mm-hmm. and then depending on you know how it does,
0: we'll roll out wider. Well, cool. So should we move into our final yeah. section? Unpaid, Unpaid endorsements.
1: endorsements.
0: Um, I can talk about two things that everyone already knows about. Great. My classic disclaimer. One is I, for some reason, I had started watching Atlanta before, and I just, I don't know, I was like too distracted. I was like playing video games on my phone, checking emails, doing everything but watching that show. And I didn't really get into it. But I just started it again last week with like out a phone in my hands, just like watching the screen. And it's pretty damn good. you
1: paying attention <laughs> to a TV show. Yeah. And that's
0: a show where the camera work is, they shoot coverage, but the every angle is interesting. You know, like it's a very it bed, cinematic, it's a yeah. very cinematic show. Yeah. But, but it's not like Woners It's, you know. But you know, when you have good content, good actors, you can yeah, sit on a wide though. shot through a doorframe and have just hear their voice. When you're doing sketch comedy, that sometimes sure. is not, not the best a, or a commercial. Yeah, where you need people to see the- Or even if you yeah, just I like
1: know. needing clean singles because you don't know what's actually gonna make the cut. Right. Yeah, that, that's hard, but that's the thing that makes it less we, cinematic.
0: Um, and so the other thing we probably talked about this on the podcast before, but I just watched that Steven Spielberg documentary on HBO. Mm -hmm. And I was just Mm -hmm. remembered, reminded of it when you were talking about directing actors and how like micromanaging them. There's this part, did you see it, Matt? I haven't finished it. Have you seen it? Yeah, I have. Yeah. There's a part where Liam Neeson is talking about how like, in Schindler's List, Steven Spielberg was, like, micromanaging how he smoked. He's like, yeah, move your hand, and now let's see that wisp of smoke under right. there. And, move it. and Steven Spielberg doesn't smoke or anything. And Liam Neeson's like, who is this guy that's, like, literally, he was getting so annoyed right. by how right. he was directing the wisps of smoke from his cigarette. And he was complaining to, like, Joe Fiennes or something, someone else in the movie. And that the guy, the, whoever he was complaining to was like, just trust me. Like, just <laughs> listen to him. Don't get mad. He knows what he's doing. And I thought it was interesting to hear that, like Liam Neeson had was annoyed by Spielberg's directing right. style, and then yeah. also, learned to Spielberg trust him. Was already Spielberg at that point,
2: right? This is not—he was yeah. not some young schmuck. I yeah, mean, yeah, he yeah. Had, he
1: was He'd a already made Jaws like ten years prior. Yeah,
0: right, right, right. He wasn't a nobody. But I like—that's what I like about it is that. Even Steven Spielberg annoys some actors, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, so if you're annoying... Some, Every not, actor has a limit. Yeah, like, I'm not saying no that matter who you, you should are. annoy yeah. them, but I'm saying nobody's perfect. I think we look at like these big directors sure. and be like, oh, they must have some secret way of connecting with people that I don't have, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and sometimes they don't either. They're directing wisps, wisps of smoke. And it's worth it. But that documentary is worth watching just because there's uh, these scenes from E.T. where he's like directing the child actors and just watching him talk to the kids and how mm-hmm. he's directing them is like fun. And it like kind of made me mm-hmm. want to work with kids again. So, mm-hmm. cause he's like acting like a kid, he's not talking down to them, but he's just genuinely emotional and excited. And right. while he's directing and it transfers into his actors in a way that's interesting. And I think you don't think of Spielberg as like a super emotional guy. Yeah. So uh, check out the documentary. It's on HBO.
2: Elijah, you got anything? my turn? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was thinking I have, um, there's two podcasts I listened to recently uh, they're very popular, so I'm sure a lot of listeners California. heard them. No, is that what is that? Oh, Should that really be my good. next obsession? Yeah. Is well, that you'll hear it, you'll, endorsement by you.
0: Yeah, last week you'll finish <laughs> it in like two days. It's the New York Times one about ISIS. Oh, that sounds It's really great. good. Well,
2: this one there was one I w- I listened to uh, a few days ago called uh, Dirty John.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's a good one. People awesome love Those that. One. Yeah. Which I hear Bravo's turning it into a TV show. Yeah. My only problem which, with Dirty John. Have you listened to it? I haven't. No. I feel like I've heard that story a hundred times before. Well... The con artist. The con artist, bad dude thing, yeah. I did read there was an Atlantic article about
1: that guy and then a handful of other people as well. Mm-hmm. Like it's like a deep con sort of thing, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it almost, re, it almost feels like a film noir, mm-hmm. kind of right. like a cheap airport film noir. Mm-hmm. A but Matchstick Men is really kind of happened. that story too,
0: right? Yeah, In yeah. Different. I mean, the, characters,
2: the character and kind of how he manipulates people is obviously very familiar. Mm-hmm.
0: But it's real. But it's
2: real, which is why it, it gets away with it. And the end is the like past. pretty the end insane. It's unbelievable. It's like third act, like oh. escalation. Like if it was in a movie or a book, you would roll your eyes. because yeah. You're like, fuck you. That didn't <laughs> yeah. happen. And then there's another podcast, which oh, the name is slipping me. So I don't know if S-Town. this sounds. No, no. This one's newer. It's about a boy. I saw S-Town. That was heartbreaking. It's about a boy who... Um, vanishes from a small town in minnesota in 1989 oh and uh was missing for 27 years i think it was or 30 years and finally the killer came forward recently a few weeks ago but they were they were in the middle of investigating what had happened to him and they were like on their last podcast and after 30 years the killer came forward and I was like yeah, it was me. He's like, I love, I love the <laughs> podcast, guys. By the way, by the way, it was
0: me. But I'm it really, available it's available for interviews. You want. Know, it's 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 really well done. Do you have it on your phone? Can you tell us? Yeah, the name? let me see if I can find it. It's like, did you guys watch the Jinx in real time? Yes. Yeah, that you had to watch in real time, unfortunately. But what happens at the end is like, in real time, it's like my that same type of thing. Oh, it's called In the Dark. In the Dark. Cool. In the Dark, season one
2: yeah Here awesome podcast on a podcast love it yeah
1: um well on that note i read a book you guys
0: what i haven't
1: read that? a book and so so that's actually my real endorsement is like um i, I think feel you like endorse that already reading, reading a book books? i think so didn't you? maybe somebody talked about it it's worth being reminded like it's <laughs> so rare that i do it because you know we are so busy and like you're trying to catch up on everything and you know, you're trying to be conversant in like what people are watching and listening to. There's so much. Um, and I found that I just was never reading fiction. I would read a ton of nonfiction, but like, it just didn't happen. So, um, I read a wolf and white van. Have you guys read mm, that book? No. A wolf in white van. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, about a guy who, um, it's pretty dark. So he, uh, attempted suicide as a, as a kid basically. And like, has like a, disfigured face and then uh, creates a mail order role playing game um, where people will mail in and like uh, you know it's kind of like Zork or any of those text based games but over the mail and it's, so it's like this very internal kind of dark story but with a lot of like cultural touch points and like metal and sci-fi he's obsessed with Conan the Barbarian and mm-hmm. it's just this kind of like you know uh, contemplative sad internal story that's like it's like a novel novel it was like a new York best new york times bestseller from a couple of years ago um but you know like a quick enough read and like you know in the world that a world that i understood and it was just like oh it's nice to kind of be back in that sort of mind yeah. frame of uh, just a story you could only tell as a novel basically yeah. cool yeah cool. so wolf and white van and it's yeah. um it's a great title yeah so it's like because there's this whole metal sub subplot and, like, when we were kids, you know, people would talk about, like, oh, if you played a record backwards, it would have right. secret satanic right. messages. And it's sort of inspired by these kids who listened to Judas Priest and then mm-hmm. didn't actually commit suicide. So, um, But the secret message that um, they're, they're talking about is just these metal singers saying, Wolf and White Band" backwards is what the message right. is. <laughs> oh, I see. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's really great. Um, and I totally recommend...
0: Reading. 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 <laughs> there are classes all over town sure. on how to do it. Yeah. I just never do. I know. There's all these writing classes. Where's the reading busy, classes?
1: Busy making podcasts.
0: So um, You're in a book club too, which is strange I that you, you just figured out reading keep, recently. Well, the, the secret of that book club is that like they do very short stories. So. <laughs> cool. Um, well, awesome. So if we want to find out more about your movie or you what's the where is there a a website Elijah or a Twitter account or some place we can find out about what's what's happening next with you
2: with me what's happening next I should probably start using Twitter shouldn't I I have an Instagram I have an Instagram account I I you know check in on once every
0: three months but yeah you could find me there okay cool yeah, and if you guys have any comments or thoughts or questions for Elijah, we'll pass them on to him. You can email us at justshootapod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere at justshootapod. Uh, I'm on Twitter, I'm at smightypileg. And I'm at Mr. Matt Emlow. This episode
1: was edited by Christopher Robert Gray. Our producer is Madeline Rosewatt. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams. Uh, the music you're listening to right now is by the artist Jazar and provided by the Free Music
0: Archive. Cool, thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.